This episode of the 614 Startups Podcast is brought to you by Ecove Capital. Are you a researcher or an inventor with a product or technology you want to commercialize and you're not quite sure how to get started? The team at Ecove can help you validate your idea, secure funding, and provide the support necessary to help your startup succeed. Check out Ecove Capital for more details. And Thompson Hine. Whether you just have an idea or a newly created startup or already working to scale, Thompson Hines' team of early and growth stage attorneys will provide you the support you need to get funded and succeed. Created to meet the needs and budgets of startups, Thompson Hines' quick launch has menu-based pricing and tons of great content. Visit thquicklaunch.com today. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. This is Elio Harmon, your host, and I got a very special guest in the building. My man, Nick. I move scripts on the strip pots. What's up, Nick? Nothing much. How are y'all? Yeah, I love giving people nicknames, man. Yeah, that's, that's my a new nickname one. for you. That's a new one. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to popularize it. Yeah, we'll try to make that go viral because I, you know, I've admired you since the first time we met in person, which is, uh, I think it was at the Venture Dinner in 2018. Uh, you were on the red carpet then. That was my first dinner that I did. And we got a chance to chat and you told me about Script Drop. Is that right? Yeah. That's the first time uh, you and I had actually met in person. We had emailed prior to then, but uh, first time. So a little over a year ago now. Yeah. A lot has changed. Yeah, absolutely. A lot going on with you and with Script Drop. But for people who don't know you, Right. I always start the podcast with a little bit of the background. So let's get to know Nick Potts. So I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, um, which is kind of the country music capital of the world. Um, you still kept the Nashville number. Yes. Yeah, I still saw have that the come Nashville across. phone number. Okay. Um, now the city has gotten much bigger. There's a lot of other music that's there. It's uh, one of the fastest growing cities in the country. So grew up there, went to college right outside of Nashville at MTSU. Um, and then after college, moved to Columbus, Ohio. And I've mostly been here ever since then. So for seven or eight years or so. Um, so this is kind of my second home, uh, so to speak, as far as a city. So when you moved to Columbus, what, what was kind of the reason why you moved here? Yeah, so girlfriend at the time, uh, now wife. So that, that all worked out for me. Um, but she had gotten a job at Abercrombie as a designer um, prior to us graduating. Um, so when I graduated um, a year after her, so the job that she had was better than a job that I could have gotten um, at the time. So moved to Columbus to check it out because I had visited her over that year and had really liked the city. And I figured I would just get here and figure things out a, a bit um, and really have loved it since then. So you move here, new city, you're in love, your wife has things going for yeah. her. How do you get things jump started for yourself? So I uh, started applying at different places. Uh, originally, the first job I got in Columbus was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, um, where they give you the tools to be your own boss. Kind of learned more about sales, the corporate environment there, and then started to get promotions. And I had applied at Cover My Meds um, because it was frequently winning awards as the best place to work in Columbus. Um, when I first applied there, I did not get hired. Um, so applied again about 10 months later, um, had gotten more experience at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And then the second time I applied to cover my meds, I got hired. That's where I really started getting into kind of the startup scene in Columbus, um, going to startup weekends, to pitch events, everything like that. 
um, just to try to learn as much as I could. That's terrific, man. And, uh, you know, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, home of the insurance upsell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know about it. Oh, man, yeah. I rent from Enterprise. Yeah. I, I know it's coming. I can smell it coming. They're it's real pushy. Later. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's all love. They hire a lot of young people. They do. A lot of them seem like they're fresh out of college or still mm -hmm. in college. They're getting that sales experience. They're getting all the soft skills yeah. that you need working with people. I think it's a tremendous stepping stone. So if I could recommend it to anybody who needs that sales experience, that's a great place to cut your teeth. It is. Uh, kind of view sales as shots on goal. Mm -hmm. um, and you definitely interact with a lot of customers when you work at enterprise. It also really surprised me that they give you so much responsibility immediately after college, um, which is cool um, to see how you handle that responsibility and kind of take it and run with it. Yeah. So Cover My Meds, I don't know, at the time that you joined Cover My Meds, is this pre-acquisition? Is it post-acquisition? What, what time do you, do you get yeah, to Cover so My Meds? Yeah, so pre-acquisition, okay. uh, quite a bit before. So uh, Cover My Meds was still at the Chestnut office, um, so which is right behind where we're, we're recording right now. Um, so I joined right around employee, let's call it between 45 and 50. Somewhere oh, wow. In that early. Range. Yeah. So early. Um, and then I was the first person that they hired to do technical um, pharmacy system integrations, kind of a dual technical business role. Uh, really good opportunity to learn a lot about the industry kind of an expedited education, so to speak, about the pharmacy space. Yeah. Now, at employee 45, 50 or so, you know, you haven't even gotten to a company of size where you're entrepreneur at that point. Everybody at that company is still an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Everybody's trying to figure it out. There aren't any systems in place. What were those formative years like? Do you think they prepared you to go out on your own and start your own company? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not only that, but it's kind of laying that foundation for taking a project and owning that project, being the true owner of that project. If it fails, it's your fault. Um, that's kind of building a company um, or a small product within a company. It's kind of a microcosm of what it is to found a company, just utilizing every single resource you have available and just figuring it out. With startups, you're not always resource abundant from a capital perspective or a different team members that have the skill set needed to get it across the finish line. And you just figure it out, just keep moving the ball forward and making progress. All right. Now, are you working at on the script drop idea at the time you're at Cover My Meds? When does the idea for script drop hit you? Yeah. So uh, let's call it December of 2017. Yeah. 2016. In that range. Uh, so about four or five months before I left Cover My Meds is when the idea hit me, um, just because I'm really big into data. I like pulling data. Um, and I found that pharmacies were not dispensing scripts that were approved. A patient had wanted to get the prescription, but if the patient was being asked to come back later, um, which frequently happens when you interact with the pharmacy supply chain. So really tracing that and following that patient experience and then realizing if the patient leaves the pharmacy not on therapy and they're told to come back later to pick up the prescription, there's a really large drop-off right there. Okay, so you're looking at the data, you see that there's a need, it feels like, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's a disconnect between what's happening between the prescriber or the person offering the therapy and the patient actually picking up the meds and then following yeah. through with that treatment. But we have ideas every day. We see problems everywhere, right? Yeah. What prompted you to go from, oh, I see this problem to, oh, I'm going to start a business to solve it? Craziness, I guess. Uh -huh. Like if you, if you knew how hard it would be um, at that time, like a lot of entrepreneurs say that they would have never started the business. Um, but once you get going, you can't quit at that point. Um, but I had attempted to launch apps and products and such uh, over my entire time at Cover My Meds. 
And looking back in retrospect, I had never tried to launch a company or a product or an app based on my actual skill set and formal on-the-job training. I learned a lot about healthcare and pharmacy and pharmacy technology. And I was out here trying to launch consumer apps that would turn into a social media company. That wasn't really what I knew a lot about. I didn't have a competitive advantage against anyone else that's trying to do that. Whereas when I launched ScriptDrop, um, there was a competitive advantage immediately based on what I knew about the ecosystem, my network, um, what I knew about how pharmacists need technology to be built. So I was able to effectively start off on second base is kind of the example I frequently have. Yeah, and one of the things about that statement that entrepreneurs make saying, hey, if I, if I knew how hard it was before I started, I wouldn't have started in the first place. Part of it is because once you start, everybody knows you've started a company and it's kind of hard to quit something that the whole world knows about, yeah. right? There's that added pressure of shit. I might as well just keep going because I'm already in it, right? Yeah. That and then when you start raising money from investors as well. Um, you feel really accountable to perform for them because they believed in you in a different way than maybe your family or friends believed in you. They were willing to give you financial resources to be successful. Uh, so between that, friends, family, and then now we have users, pharmacies, patients, all of that, which is even more important to me than investor capital because that's affecting people's lives mm -hmm. uh, really directly. Yeah. Now, for uh, so what's the fundamental idea but behind ScriptDrop? What is the problem that you're solving? What is that elevator pitch for what you do? Yeah. So I kind of boil it down to prescription accessibility. Um, across the country, patients need prescriptions that they're not able to effectively access for a multitude of reasons. The really base level that we're addressing that today is through prescription delivery. We connect the pharmacist to a courier across the nation through our software. And then we really focus on that vertical integration. So we source the courier, we manage the courier. Um, the courier uses our technology as well to provide prescription accessibility to the inpatient. Because if the pharmacy doesn't offer prescription delivery or it's too hard for them to manage, then the patient isn't able to get on therapy. And we deliver for some pharmacies across the U.S. that are delivering diabetes medication, uh, heart disease medication, different things like that, that the patient needs it to essentially stay healthy and stay alive. So it's just very important to provide that accessibility. Now, when you're listening to this and let's say you're not on a regular prescription, you just don't understand. Like if I'm, if I'm explaining Uber to you. Yeah. Because we all take transportation, we can all kind of understand. With it, yeah. yeah. But when you're talking about delivering prescriptions, if your life hasn't been affected by some condition yeah. that requires you to receive therapy on a regular basis, mm -hmm. if for some reason you're not homebound or leaving your house yeah. is not a taxing effort, it doesn't immediately resonate mm -hmm. as a major problem. Let's talk about this as a broader macro issue around yeah. our healthcare system, right? Yeah. How many people are we talking about that this product or this service could potentially serve and the real need for getting these therapies to people that really need it, but maybe can't access it easily. Yeah. So uh, as an example or some using data, in 2019, there will be 6 billion prescriptions written in the U.S. About 4 billion will be dispensed uh, for patients across the country. So think of your grandmother, your grandfather. Uh, they Oftentimes, when you are 65, 70, 75, you're on several medications for a multitude of, of issues. 
Specifically, my grandfather, my mom will pick up his prescriptions at multiple pharmacies. He works with three or four pharmacies in his area. Without my mom handling that for him, there's very high likelihood he would not pick up some of those prescriptions, which would compound the effects of the disease that he's combating, which is likely heart disease, blood pressure, different things like that. Um, Another example, I was on a panel about a year ago and this situation uh, got explained to me and I had never thought through this. A new father was in the audience and he said his wife had come home right after having the baby. Um, His newborn daughter's there. Um, His wife is there. She had had a bit of a complicated birth, didn't feel really well. Uh, His newborn daughter needed some medication and was screaming like absolutely just not in a good mood. And he said that was the first time that what Script Drop is doing connected with him. He said at that point, that day, I had to drive to the pharmacy and leave my essentially sick wife um, and my newborn daughter that was sick at the home, both of them effectively crying and in tears. He said, I would have paid $1,000 to get a prescription delivery right then because I, they were in such a vulnerable state. I didn't want to leave them. So those types of situations, they come up hundreds of thousands of times across the U.S. So effectively what we're doing is wanting to make that process quite a bit easier for the patient of bringing effectively the the pharmacy to them, so to speak. So you don't have to wait in line. You don't have to leave your sick wife, your sick daughter, um, or if you're someone like my mom, that you're a caregiver, you don't have to drive around to four or five pharmacies picking up prescriptions for your uh, ailing father. Mm -hmm. Now, um, so you have your mail order delivery services. I don't know what utilization is for that, for people who receive meds regularly, right? So, I mean, theoretically, that should solve the problem if people are the kind of, if we all planned in advance and We scheduled it and we could find a reliable pharmacy where the drugs are real, et cetera, and it comes to our home, right? That's one part of the market. Mm -hmm. But then where does Script Drop step in in terms of solving this problem? Are you a logistics company? Do you actually have drivers and couriers? Do you have cars on the road? How do you actually serve this market? Yeah, so at our core, we're a healthcare software company. Mm -hmm. That's what our core skill set is. That's what we know the best. We have grown into a logistics company as well, but we do not hire our own drivers. We partner with courier companies and then they hire their own drivers and manage those drivers. We train their drivers on prescription delivery and how to use our technology so that we don't have to go around the country hiring hundreds of thousands of drivers. And then we've also partnered with and did integrations with some of the largest ride sharing companies in the world. So that allows us to establish redundancy in a lot of markets, because if Joe, the courier, decides to call out one day, we do not want that to negatively affect the patients that he would have delivered for or the pharmacies that he would deliver for that day. We'll kick it to our secondary courier in that market who is trained the exact same as the primary courier. So there's no disruption in service for the pharmacy or for those patients that need their medication. Now, there's always a little bit of risk involved when you talk about handling sensitive healthcare mm-hmm. related yeah. packages Absolutely. and taking it from one location to the next and tampering and all issues mm-hmm. like that, right? Are you thinking about that and how are you dealing with that? Yeah, we put a lot of thought into it. Um, we continue to put a lot of thought into it um, as regulations change across the U.S. The healthcare system is probably 10 years behind on what consumers want out of it. Um, consumers want that Uber experience with healthcare. Whether it's 
booking an appointment with your primary care physician, getting a prescription from your local pharmacy, that Uber experience isn't really present in healthcare for the most part. Um, how we're driving towards that is we're playing by the rules of the healthcare system, um, understanding HIPAA compliance, different things like that. One thing that we do whenever we onboard a new pharmacy onto the ScriptDrop platform, we mail packaging out to them. And that is free of charge. We cover that. And what we instruct them to do is to package up that prescription in the ScriptDrop packaging every single time they kick off a prescription delivery. And that effectively creates the same experience for the courier every single time. So when he or she delivers a product to your home, they have no idea what they're delivering. So they do not know the drug that is in there, how many prescriptions, none of that, um, because it isn't information that they necessarily need to be successful with the job they've been given. And then getting back to there's sensitive medications. If we are delivering an HIV medication in a community, we don't want your local courier seeing your medication and connecting, hey, the person that's about to sign for this uh, is HIV positive. Or, or they might be somebody that you know. Exactly. Because those communities, depending on how tightly knit they yes. are, you don't want somebody who you know to maybe know what prescriptions Absolutely. you're on. So the courier never finds out any of that. Mm -hmm. Every single prescription they pick up is in our packaging and it's anonymized. Um, all that is on the outside of the package is the patient name and patient address. That's all they need to know. And they're confirming that with what's in their application that we've built mm -hmm. um, to connect the two and then kick off that process for the patient. Right. Now, um, you mentioned, you know, there's there's like six million or so prescriptions. Six billion. Six billion prescriptions. B, yeah. Only four billion are getting filled. Mm -hmm. So there's this two billion prescription gap. Yeah. But I'm guessing, like you said, more and more consumers want the Uber experience. So of that four billion there represents a significant opportunity. Yeah. Maybe the $2 billion is just an accessibility issue, which yeah. is what you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So who foots the bill, right? So yeah. for my convenience, I foot the bill for Uber because yeah. I want the delivery. How does that work with your business model? Yes. Yeah, so today um, we partner with pharmacies and they pay for the delivery. Okay. Um, so they have a really vested interest on you picking up your prescription. Uh, they've ordered that product. They are employing a pharmacist that is very highly paid. That's effectively a doctor. Um, they have that type of training. And then you get that prescription um, sent to their pharmacy, they fill it, and then you don't return back to the pharmacy to pick it up. So they're very incentivized to pay for that delivery for you. Um, we're, our model is evolving um, as we scale. We're starting to partner with health plans as well for them to pay for those deliveries um, or share that cost with the pharmacy and also partnering with pharmaceutical manufacturers and our goal is to grow ScriptDrop into such a large company that we have so many interested parties that everyone can share that financial burden. Um, so one single party isn't paying for the delivery. But each of you, if each is paying 10% or 15%, it's not overly burdensome for any one person. Mm -hmm. Now, do you see, and, and listen, I hope uh, some of your customers may not be listening. If you give an answer that they may not like, um, but I have to ask you this, right? Why not just bypass the middle person? So pharma company A yeah. needs to get meds to patient B. Mm -hmm. In between the two is a pharmacy. Yeah. Your doctor sends the script to the pharmacy. The pharmacy fills and traditionally you pick it up. Now you're going from the pharmacy to the patient. Yeah. 
big brands like Walgreens, CVS, we already talk about a healthcare system where the costs are insane, right? So that middle person is part of that cost structure. Mm -hmm. If you can efficiently facilitate that transaction without the middle person, why do we need pharmacies? Yeah. Uh, coming in with the tough questions. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I have to ask, man. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's a question worth asking. Um, in the U.S., uh, individual states they have pharmacy boards that regulate a lot of those types of things. That you have to have a pharmacy license to dispense a prescription um, because the patient has to have the ability to ask questions, uh, and then the pharmacist can consult them based on how that drug may interact negatively with another drug that they're taking that that pharmacist would know how the interactions could um, negatively affect your health. And the education piece. Absolutely. That's not something that technology can buy overnight. Uh, If you're a software developer, there is zero chance that you should be making decisions on someone's health. Those two things should be separated. Um, But there are things that can be moved around to be more efficient throughout that process. Uh, such as maybe negotiating better rates with some of the pharmaceutical manufacturers based on uptick in adherence and lowering the abandonment rate. So then that savings is shared across every single interested party in the supply chain. Um, But I think that everyone is kind of operating in silos in healthcare. I think sometimes that's intentional. And then there are times that it's for everyone's protection in those situations that we described of your driver not knowing that prescription and what's in there. Um, There are those instances that everyone operating in silos, it does create a better experience, so to speak, even though sometimes from the surface, it looks very inefficient. Mm -hmm. Great answer. And I think that's something worth exploring, right? And and, and really truly seeing if there's opportunity there, like you said, even if it's not about bypassing the middle person, but about creating shared savings because of improved uh, rates where people are getting their prescriptions filled. And and we're seeing some of the uh, bypassing the middleman, so to speak, already. There's some of the online pharmacies that are getting rid of the wholesaler. So three of the biggest wholesalers in the U.S. are McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource. And there are some of these online tech-enabled pharmacies that are bypassing the wholesaler entirely, and they're negotiating with the pharma manufacturer directly. But what they're also doing is they're lowering the use case and kind of defining like hymns or something like that, that they're just dispensing ED medication or just heart disease medication, where they can negotiate with one single manufacturer to launch that program. Mm -hmm. It's much harder to do when you need to carry a thousand or 2000 different types of prescriptions. Yeah, I understand that. So 2008, you were on the Venture Ohio watch list. Script drop was in 2000, and sorry, 2018. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm missing a decade there. Yeah. And then in 2019, you win or Script Drop wins Growth Stage Startup of the Year. Yeah. What changed in that year? And you know, what are you thinking about, or what are some of the lessons learned over that year that has gotten you to this point? That you need a kind of the the old saying of it takes a village to raise a child, uh, you need that to have a startup to be successful. Um, zero chance that it was just myself working in a room, no matter how hard I worked, that Script Drop would be successful if you didn't have also all of the team members that contribute in a multitude of ways. Uh, what has changed in the year? Uh, we've grown uh, just from a team member perspective by about 4X, 5X or so. 
Um, we're over 80 full-time team members, approaching 90. Um, at the end of 2019, we will be over 100. Um, we have coverage in all 50 states across the U.S. We've made deliveries in all 50 states across the U.S. This time a year ago, nowhere near that on the number of states that we were delivering in or the number of team members. Uh, we've also signed some really large contracts with other pharmacy chains, some of which we can't talk about, but um, we're working with Albertsons. They're the fifth largest chain in the U.S., and we have larger clients than them now, which is really astounding if you think about where we started at the beginning of 2018, that 17 or 18 months later, uh, we're working with several of the top 10 pharmacy chains in the U.S. It is our goal at ScriptDrop to help a billion patients. Uh, we have to partner with those large pharmacy chains to be able to approach any type of goal like that. Yeah, and, and you know, for first-time founders, and I'm assuming you're a first-time founder, this is your first go-around. Yeah, to raise capital and everything, yeah. absolutely. So the training wheels are off now, buddy. They are. How does it feel? It feels good. Um, it feels like it's all been worth it, like all of the sacrifice, uh, the long hours, all of that, um, to see a solution that we created out of just uh, originally data and then turning that into a solution that is helping patients across the United States and helping pharmacies across the United States. And then the another thing that our courier team at uh, ScriptDrop connected recently or started talking about more is each delivery we make, we're helping the pharmacist by queuing that up in a much more efficient way. Uh, because prior to working with ScriptDrop, it was really archaic on how they would kick off a prescription delivery request. We're ultimately helping the patient, which is very, very important, but we're also helping the courier as well. We're providing jobs for them um, the software that they use is really nice to use. It's a good experience. And uh, so for one single delivery, we're helping multiple parties. Uh, that I think that's truly remarkable and it's something our entire team is proud of. That's tremendous, man. And you, you made a statement earlier about it, it taking a village to raise a child in the need for people. You are scaling and I visited you at your office on multiple occasions. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I can say is that you have the culture right. Yeah. What were you thinking as you were about to scale, as you were finding product market fit, as you started to make a decision about bringing all these people into your yeah. company and helping you and helping the company realize this vision? What was it like choosing the type of culture that ScriptDrop was going to be? And then if you could describe your culture, what would you say about the ScriptDrop culture? Um, so in choosing the culture, I don't, I don't want to say that it was us choosing it and making conscious decisions of we want to be this or we'll be unhappy if the culture shifts to this. Um, I think it's really key to have that core group of people that you hire, let's say your first 15 or 20 team members, that they're really aligned with the vision of the company. And how I've approached that is just being incredibly, incredibly transparent to the point that I sometimes have to share really uncomfortable things with the team, um, good or bad, that uh, most companies wouldn't share with their entire company and call in all staff and talk about these types of things. Um, but it really drives towards that transparency because I'm a big believer if we have a problem in the company or we're trying to solve a problem or anything like that, we should get every smart person at the company, which is at this point, all of them, to talk about it and to consider solutions and to throw out ideas. Um, whether you started at the company two days prior, we want to hear from you. 
because healthcare, as you touched on earlier, it's, it sucks, um, is just the most direct way to put it. Um, it is really cumbersome to just book in a doctor's appointment or go to the pharmacy, anything like that. Um, so if additional people are sharing their perspective, um, that really leads to a much better solution. On the culture side, I think that how I would describe it is we're incredibly collaborative, very transparent, and we really enjoy the process of solving hard problems. Um, I think if you just want to approach hard problems and try to solve them and you don't enjoy the process, the discovery, the user feedback, all of that, um, you won't, I guess, celebrate the end destination and realize how far you've came as much. Yeah, well, I can testify to the culture. And if I had to describe the culture, I know people are in there working because the results show. Mm-hmm. But I know you guys know how to blow off steam as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because there, there, there is a feeling in there that you guys are all in there together. And, you know, you actually have other companies within your workspace. So it's script drop is scaling, but you have some other companies in there that are also trying to scale as well. Yeah. And I think everything meshes uh, and, and, it, and, and it works so well. And one of the takeaways was it, I walked in the building and said, oh, I could see myself working here, not really having sat down at a desk and spent the whole day there, but there's just an atmosphere that says, hey, we're about our business, but we also know how to blow off steam. Now, I close every episode, and I thank you so much for joining me, asking my guests if they could go back to a younger version of themselves, right? 18, 19, whatever. I mean, you look like you're 17 or something already. 31. I'm old. My (laughs) knee hurts every day now. That makes me feel old. Oh, yeah, yeah. The little crunch sound? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So if you could go back a little bit and give yourself some advice, what would that advice be? I would say probably it just continue experimenting with different ways to chase that success, that uh, failure based on the worldly definition isn't failure in the startup space. Um, As long as you're learning something each time you attempt to launch a product or anything like that, and you have some tangible learning that you're able to bring towards the next thing and directly apply it moving forward. And just never quit is the, I think the really, really big thing with startups and being an entrepreneur is just to continue moving the ball forward and you'll be a better version of yourself the next year and the next year, and then it compounds over time. And then eventually that comes together of that skill set, that knowledge that you've put together. Um, plus you have the perfect product opportunity, the perfect market, and then the timing lines up really well. <laughs> and I think that's collectively what happened with Script Drop, that you have portions of it that it was just the right team, the right solution, uh, but there was also some marking time and perspective that came down to luck effectively. And I think uh, some successful entrepreneurs or folks that have experienced that success, they want to talk about luck less at that point because uh, it takes away from all of the hard work that they've put in, but there's always some luck that's involved. All right, Nick, man, thank you so much for being a good sport coming on the show. I know I dropped a meme of Nick clapping, which is a classic on uh, IG. Uh, For those of you who don't know, that's an inside thing. You got to know who Nick is and you can find out what the Nick clapping thing is all about. But I leave my audience with my one takeaway. Yeah. And my one takeaway from my experience of knowing you from 2018 to now 
uh, getting to know you at the venture dinner and when you were on the 50 watch list and now uh, your company is one growth stage startup of the year is humility. It's the same Nick. It's the same old Nick. Down to earth, friendly, um, even though all your accomplishments, um, you're allowed to feel that feeling of, hey, that pride, right? But some people carry it maybe a little bit differently than you do. And I really admire that. And that's a word of advice for anybody out there experiencing success. Keep that humility, keep that hunger. It's going to take you a long way. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. Peace. Six one four Startups Nation. It's a wrap. Thank you for listening. You can listen to this podcast on our website, www.614startups.com, and on all your favorite podcast channels like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you like, subscribe, and comment. Also, 614startups.com is your one-stop shop for Columbus startup news, interviews, and events. Make sure you make 614startups.com part of your daily routine to stay up to date.